Good afternoon. Welcome mm-hmm. to Trinity Word Ministry. First Monday night Bible study, and we are studying in the book of Isaiah. Now, for those of you that were around during the Revelation Bible study, you'll know that we're going to be doing basically the same way. We'll take one verse at a time, and we're going to go through the entire book of Isaiah. Who knows how long it'll take? And I really don't care. This is a very important book. It's 66 chapters, and a lot of Bible historians and Bible Scholars say that Isaiah is the little Bible because it has 66 chapters. And, of course, King James Version has 66 books. But we're going to get started with a prayer, and then we're going to get started with Isaiah 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you'll move and that you'll touch as only you can, Lord. Lord, that you'll open up our eyes of understanding that Lord, you'll anoint my lips as I endeavor to bring forth the message that you would wish me to convey. And Lord, that you'll bless the ears that hear and the hearts to receive, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. And as I, as I did in a Revelation Bible study, the rule was that if you had a question, you're welcome to ask it. But you have to have the answer to that question so you don't stump me. All right, I just told my granddaughter that, and she just kind of looked at me kind of funny, but that's okay. She looks at me funny anyway. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, king of Judah. Now, when you look at these names, and you may say, well, I, I recognize some of these people. I don't recognize all of them. Isaiah was a prophet, ooh, ooh, and he was in the Old Testament, but he was quoted throughout the New Testament. He was quoted around 50 times in the New Testament. His ministry covered five kings of Judah. He prophesied of the Messiah. And Isaiah's book is often considered, as I said earlier, the Little Bible, because it has 66 chapters. The first person we read about is Isaiah. That is the guy that's writing or had written the, the book of Isaiah. And then we see the son of Amos. We don't know a whole lot about Amos. We know that he's Isaiah's father, and that's really about all we know. But now the next few people looks like... Um, if you wanted to look at country clubs back then, this would have been a country club. This was the five kings of Judah. Uzziah, during his early years, he pleased God. However, due to his pride and arrogance, he tried to perform the priestess duties. He also did not remove a lot of the idolatrous symbols. He started off with good intentions, but he didn't quite get there. Isn't that the way of us usually, that we start off with good intentions, but sometimes we, we get sidetracked? Then Jotham was the 11th king of Judah. He was the king, or he was the son of King Azariah, or Uzziah, which we just talked about. He was righteous. However, he did not remove the pagan influences. If you want to look at it, he was in the permissive will of God. There's the the perfect will, and then there's the permissive. 
the perfect will, he would have removed the idolatrous symbols, he would have removed the pagan influences, and he would have done exactly what God asked him to do. He did most of what God asked him to do, but he did not remove the pagan influences. So he was in the permissive will. Then we see Ahaz, or as we know him, he was a very evil king. He was the son of Jotham. Most biblical scholars state he was one of the worst. While he was king, he made a pact with the Assyrian king for assistance instead of relying on God. While in Damascus, he saw an altar, which he had a replica built to be put in the Jewish temple. Now, this altar was an altar to a idol. So, he's polluting God's house. He's polluting the, the temple by bringing in idols and idol worship to the temple. Ahaz was a very ugly, very physically ugly, I don't know, but mentally cruel. Personality, cruel. So he was an ugly king. He was a very evil king. And then we see Hezekiah, the last one that was mentioned in verse 1. Hezekiah brought about civil and religious reforms. He developed a, a, a very powerful and specific prayer life. But while he was sick, he was told he would not recover. He had an infection, and he lay on his bed, and he was told by the prophet Isaiah that he would not recover. And he turned to the wall, and he prayed, and lo and behold, God gave him 15 more years. Now, it would probably have been better for him to have went on and, and passed away, because in those 15 years that God gave him, the extra life that God gave him, he was visited by some Babylonians and some others, but he showed them everything that he had. He showed them everything in the palace. He showed them everything in the temple, and he was bragging about doing it. It was, oh, look at this. This is what I've gathered. Look at this. This is what I've done. Oh, look at this. And because of that, his kingdom was taken away from his future generations. So the first verse of Isaiah, like a lot of the books of the Bible, it describes who we're talking about. It describes who the book is written about. So we know that Isaiah was a son of Amos. We know that he was a prophet, and he prophesied in the five kings. But what did he prophesy? That's the question. Verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Now Isaiah is speaking for God in this verse. And he's calling to witness some of God's creations, heaven and earth. And he's speaking that God is our father, or God is a father, and he is. But he says, the Lord hath spoken, I have nourished and brought up children. Well, who could he be talking about? Who would be his children? In the book of Isaiah, it's none other than the Jews. It's none other than the Judah. It's none other than the people that has been prophesied about. And they've rebelled against me. Isaiah, speaking for God, is telling the people of Israel and Judah that God was charging them for their sins. 
By asking the heavens and the earth to listen, all of creation is brought in to hear the charges and to witness for God that the charges are true. God, taking the role of the Father in this case, and the children of Israel as his children, is telling them that they no longer honor him and in effect are in open rebellion against and to him. Exodus 20 and verse 12, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. It's the first commandment with promise. And it tells us to honor our parents. That thy days may be long upon the land. Now, you're not guaranteed a long life, okay? But you are guaranteed that God will not destroy you because of dishonoring your parents. God is charging his children and, and one of his creations, that is his children, with rebellion. And he is having the other creations to be a witness to these charges and a witness for his side of the case. Now, if you're called to witness in court, you have to be able to have seen or have some facts about what is being on trial. Earth and heavens had witnessed, had seen, if you will, what the children of Israel, the children of Judah, was doing. So God, through Isaiah, caused the earth and caused the heavens to come to his witness stand. And they are saying, yes, what the charges are being laid against the children of Israel, children of Judah, are true. What would he say about us? What would he, what would the charges be against us? We are now his children because we were adopted at the cross of Calvary. We are his children. Are we in open rebellion to God? I hope not. But oftentimes we are. Now, I'm, don't get me wrong. You know, you make a mistake. You, you say something you shouldn't. That's not going to automatically send you to hell. But if you constantly are there, if you constantly live in that sinful state, if you are abiding in the sinful city, then you are guilty. And it's, the Bible tells us that he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. So if you're living in that state, if you're living in that sinful way, if you're living in that sinful lifestyle, you're not fit for heaven any longer. But now once again, if you've just made a mistake, you ask God to forgive you, that's, I, I won't say it's acceptable because we don't have to do that. But, God will give us the forgiveness. But if we keep doing it, and keep doing it, and keep doing it, and living in that sinful state, eventually, he's going to turn us over to a reprobate mind, and we are not going to get any further and any closer. And what we have here on this earth is as close to heaven as we will ever receive. Now, if you're a Christian, what you have here on this earth is the closest thing to hell you'll ever receive. But if you are living in that sinful state, day in and day out, 
this is as good as it's going to get for you. Verse 3. The ox knoweth his owner, and his ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. An animal, a lowly ox, or even an ass, will know their owner's voice and will even know where home is. And my dad used to work a pony. And we would, what they call, snaking out uh, pupwood. If you don't know what snaking out is, basically you hook the pony to the, the fallen tree and it dr drags it out to a clearing or to an opening or where it can be loaded. That's called snaking out. That's a mountain term, an old country term, if you will. After a while, that pony got to where it knew where it needed to go. And it would take and go to the loading area by himself. And the person that was there at the truck that was loading the, the pulpwood, and the pulpwood's small pieces of of timber, small logs, if you will, and they grind it up and they make paper out of it. They make pulp out of it, and then they form paper out of that pulp. And they do that so that we can have things to write on, to print on. That pony got to the point where it knew where it needed to go, and so he would drag the timber or the logs, the pulp wood, out to the truck, and he would load it, or the person there would unhook the pony, and would load the logs onto the truck. The pony would turn around and go right back to where it started from, and somebody there would hook him up to the next load, and he would drag the next load. And this happened day in and day out. So a pony, a donkey, an oxen, they know what they're supposed to do. They can be trained. An animal, a lowly ox, or even an ass will know their owner's voice and will even know where home is. The oxen and the donkey will often go back to their barn. However... God says that Israel does not recognize God or where God has provided for them to live. And he's comparing Israel to a donkey and to an ox. What would he compare America to? A donkey, an ox, a serpent? Probably that and much more. How much truer is this of America? Does America recognize God's voice? And I'm talking about America as a whole, not individual Americans. I'm talking about America as a whole. Does America recognize God's voice for what God has done for us? Think about the history of America. 1776 to 2023. We're a superpower. We're richly blessed. And yet we don't recognize God in our country any longer. No, we don't. We don't. Perhaps we don't want to recognize God. We we want to ignore Him because we are afraid that God will ask us to do something with the blessing, or ask us to do something like turn to Him and not to sin. Sin has a pleasure for a season, and that's it. It's like you know you can get drunk, you can have a good time with your friends, but the next morning you're going to have a hangover. You're going to crash. Sin is has a pleasure for a season, but eventually that season runs out. 
Because we are afraid that God will ask us to do something, we don't want to recognize God. Because we are afraid that God will ask us to do something, we don't want to acknowledge God. We think that we can do it on our own. Nebuchadnezzar believed that, king of Babylon. He went out onto his balcony one day, and I envisioned in my mind's eye, he raised his arms and he said, oh, look at what I've done. God says, well, let me show you what you're going to do. And for the next seven seasons, he ate grass like a beast. He slept out in the wild, and he ate grass like a beast. And until he recognized his stupidity, his folly, God did not recognize him. But the moment that Nebuchadnezzar went, whoops, you know, I blew it. Sorry, God. He was restored back to his throne. If you don't believe me, go back and look at it. It's clear in the scriptures. Israel was being compared to an ox or a donkey, and it was not a good comparison. Now, my wife tells me I'm as stubborn as an old mule. I don't believe that. I do not believe that I am stubborn. I believe that I am determined, but I am not stubborn. But he was comparing them to a donkey. He was comparing them to an ox, and we too could be compared to that. And it would be just as true for us today. In the days of the Bible, an ox was, no, was known for being submissive, and a donkey was known for its stupidity. Israel is being compared to these animals. What would America be compared to? Verse 4. And once we get through verse 4, we'll stop for tonight. We can continue to go, and we can continue to go, but verse 4 is kind of lengthy, but there's a lot of meat in verse 4. A sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. God charges his people, his nation, of being sinful. He charges them with corrupting everything. And he even charges their children with being corruptors or being able to corrupt. However, in verse 18 of this same chapter, he tells them and he tells us that he will not leave us or them in that fashion if they will come to him. Chapter 1, verse 18 says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Before you can be helped, though, you have to recognize that there's a problem. And this is not or this is a problem, not just with the Jews, but with all people in all nations. Romans 3 and 9 says, what then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Jews and Gentiles. That's all of us. 
you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. If you're not Gentile, you're a Jew. It's that simple. It's everybody. Romans 3 and 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be become guilty before God. The world is guilty. And you can trace that all the way back to Genesis when Eve and Adam ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, may rock your world here. It wasn't Eve that sinned. It was Adam. Adam was told, Thou shalt not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but of all the other trees you can eat of. Eve tells the serpent, Well, we can't even touch this tree. That's not what God said. God said you couldn't eat of it. So apparently Adam went to Eve and said, Okay, you can't touch the tree. Now, they probably had went, she would have probably went to her kids and said, Okay, you can't look at the tree. They would have went to their kids and said, You can't play around the tree. Before long, we wouldn't have been able to be in the garden because the tree was there. Then we wouldn't have been able to be in the county, in the state, and the country, the continent, the world. We'd have had it blasted off into space because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was here. That's not what God said. He said, I give you off all these trees to eat, everything. And that includes the tree of life. When you think about it, the tree of life was there. They could have eaten of it. God said you could, but you cannot eat of the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In that day, you will die. That's where the sin came from. That's why the whole world is guilty. That's why the whole world is corrupt. The sin comes from Satan, of course. But why do we allow sin? take such a hold on us. I believe it's because of the lack of reverential fear of God. Now, we're not cowering under the bed like I do when my wife gets mad at me. You know, the last time she got mad at me, I had her hands and knees begging me, get out from under that bed and fight like a man, you coward. That's not the fear I'm talking about. I'm talking about a reverential fear. I'm talking about a holy fear. I'm talking about a fear of God that not only he can kill us, but he could could destroy our soul, but he won't. So that's the difference. If you were in charge, if I were in charge, there'd probably be a lot less people on this earth. Romans 3, verses 10 through 18 tells us, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness? Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's why we allow God we allow sin to get such a hold on us. We've lost our fear, our reverential, our awe inspiring, our holy fear of God. 
well, he didn't do anything to me the last time I did this, so he must not care. No, that's not the case. God very much cares. But you are given, and I am given, free will. And we get to make our own choices in this world. He gives us a right choice, he gives us a wrong choice. Or he allows us to see a wrong choice. So often we take the wrong choice because, one, we don't understand what we're doing because we're stupid donkeys and stupid oxen, but because we don't fear God. we got to get back to our prayer life and we've got to get back to that reverential fear of God. And because of our corruptness, our sin, we have polluted the other creations of God. Genesis 6 and 12 says, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. See, the sin didn't just affect us, it affected everything around us. Just as our sin affects everybody around us, our sin affects everything around us, including the ground. He told Adam, from now on, and I'm going to use my own words, from now on you're going to have to sweat, you're going to have to work, you're going to have to toil, you're going to have to struggle to make ends meet. You're going to have to really struggle to get this ground to grow anything. Before the sin, all he had to do was go out and dress and keep the garden. So you want to blame somebody for having to work hard? Look back to Adam. But how will God cleanse the sin from his people? And in fact, all people. Isaiah 53 and 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered among the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Because of Jesus. And what he has done for us on the cross of Calvary, all we have to do is accept it. All we have to do is go to him and say, Father, forgive us for we have sinned. That's it. You know, we talk about, oh, well, you can quote the sinner's prayer. Uh, there's no sinner's prayer. It's just asking forgiveness for the sins that are in your life. It's that simple. It's that simple. I'll leave you with this. Grandfather and his granddaughter was walking across the or about to walk across the street, and the little granddaughter was concerned that she was going to get run over. It was a busy street. And she looked up at her grandfather and she said, Grandpa, let me hold your hand while we cross the street. The grandpa looked at her and said, No, darling, let me hold your hand. And they crossed the street safely and got to the other side. There was someone else walking behind them. And he stopped the older gentleman and he said, Well, let me ask you a question, sir. Why did you tell her not to hold your hand but let you hold her? What's the difference? He said, Well, in her youth and in her inexperience, if something was to come at her, she'd get scared and she'd let go. In my age, in my experience, I'll just hold on tighter. I will not let go. Imagine God. He wants to hold your hand.
because he'll never let go. He will never get scared. He will never get excited. And he will never let go. Monday night, 7 p.m., Trinity Word Ministry. We're going to go through Isaiah much in the same fashion as we did the first four verses. There will be some nights when we might not get one verse. There might be nights when we get an entire chapter. I don't know. It's just how God leads. But if you have a question, please put it out on Facebook. Try to answer it. If I can't answer it, I'll go to God. He knows all. Because you see, Jesus is the answer to questions that we don't even know we have yet. So if you've got a question, please put it out. I'll be happy to respond to you. And you can catch this on Facebook. You can catch this on YouTube. You can catch this at TrinityWordMinistry.com. Until then, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God bless, and we'll talk to you Monday night. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come into your house to worship, to praise, and to honor your name. Lord, we ask that you'll move, that you'll touch, that you'll take this video, Lord, and that you will send it to where you want it to go. Lord, that you will open it up for eyes to see and hear, ears to hear, Lord, where you want it to be. Lord, we ask that you'll enlarge the territory and that you will continue to help us to spread the message that you have asked us to do. In Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. Monday, 7 p.m. See you then.